Welcome to Chapter by Chapter. I'm your host, Brian Thomas Crop, and I believe that stories have a tremendous power for good, and so I write them and I enjoy sharing them with you. Uh, if you are new to the podcast, we are glad that you are here. This is uh, set up to be sort of a behind the scenes um, look at how stories are written and published and made and those kinds of things. So if you enjoy uh, back in the day, watching a movie, renting a, a DVD, and then going to all of the behind the scenes, uh, listening to the director's commentary or watching how uh, the movie got made. This is that kind of uh, podcast, but I use the stories that I've written to do that. So uh, if you are um, familiar with those stories, then uh, you'll fit right in. Um, if not, the story that we're looking at uh, right now over the past several weeks and then on uh, into the future for just a little bit until we get to the end of the book uh, is a book called Shell Game that I wrote. And all of it is over on my website for free. You can just go to briankthomascrop.com and in the blog, uh, just jump to chapter 27 of that. And that is uh, what uh, we'll be diving into. So you can read along if you so choose uh, or read ahead or read behind wherever you are in the story. Where we are in the story, though, is uh, our hero, who is a private detective named Evan Gold. He has been trying to find a killer who has killed his partner, probably also killed uh, someone else in town. Uh, those murders seem connected, but he's not quite sure how yet. And uh, along the way, he has acquired this rather mysterious pearl-like thing that he um, it, it talks to him uh, very recently. It showed up as this woman from another land altogether. Her name is Lillian and she is scared to death that uh, bad guys are coming for her. So she's asked Evan to protect him. So he's trying to protect her, trying to protect his client, trying to protect his marriage, trying to protect his failing detective business. He's in a bad way. And where we discover him on this uh, at this moment We've kind of had a long run of chapters of sort of a sequence of events that was all of one night. It was a very long night for him that involved almost all of his different worlds colliding and he needs a break. So he's coming back to the office and doesn't exactly know what he's going to bump into. Uh, but I will leave it there as we leave Evan about to walk into his office in the next morning, uh, but we will hear what happens in chapter 27 of Shell Game right after we hear from this week's sponsors. This episode is also sponsored by Showdown in the Yukon, the first book in the Pearl Saga. It is a story of Monterey Jack Danvers, who is a reformed pickpocket who is hired by his old partner in crime to help rescue a uh, stolen gold claim up in the Yukon Territory for a widow. He also finds the widow's daughter quite attractive and that helps him go on this adventure that takes him on uh, stormy seas, through caves, through forest fires and being hunted down um, in forests and all kinds of uh, great adventure. And the big question is, 
Will they be able to uh, rescue this gold mine, uh, this gold claim back from the evil man who uh, took it from this poor widow woman? And then what kind of man does Monterey Jack Danvers turn into by the end of uh, the story? It is also the prelude to uh, Shell Game Part 2 of the Pearl Saga. And you can find Showdown in the Yukon at amazon.com. You can also find the links uh, to that over at briantomascrop.com. Chapter 27. On his walk back to the office, Evan remembered Catherine's request to fill out the account paperwork at the bank. He made the necessary detour and took care of the details. It pained him to write every pen stroke and wondered if he was helping or hurting his chances of building trust with her. At least she would know that he thought of her while she wasn't with him. Fifteen minutes after leaving the bank, Evan walked through the silver and gold detective agency's door. He instantly noticed the lines of worry crisscrossing Sophie's forehead. She was on the phone, and Evan saw she was doing her best to end the call. He tried to slip past her, but Sophie snapped her fingers and waved him over. Evan froze mid-stride, took off his hat, and turned the brim in his fingers as he waited for her phone call to finish. He then heard Sophie say, As I've said, Judith, Judith... Yes, Judith, as I've said, as I've said, I've been in and out a bit this morning. We've been like ships. Yes, I can double check if Evans... Her eyes looked at Evan to see if he was in or not. Evan waved her off. Sophie continued, He doesn't seem to be in right now, dear. Yes. Yes, I'll have him phone when it's... All right, I will. And with that, Sophie looked at the receiver, shook her head, and rested it back on the phone's cradle. Thanks for finally coming in today. It's been like Grand Central around here. Then she got a wistful look about her. Though I wouldn't know. Not from personal experience, anyway. I would have to have someone who could whisk me off to New York to see it for myself. But I've seen the pictures at the Bijou, so that's something. Your very own Prince Charming? Evan smiled. I hear it's every girl's expectation, she said. When your feet come back down, that's the part they forget to mention, he replied. What's the news? Well, let's see. Sophie leaned back in her chair and folded her hands across her middle. At this very moment, you have one Miss Claire Porter waiting patiently in your office. At least she seems to be sticking to that name for the moment. Between you and me, Evan, she looks a bit rattled. Extra rattled is what I mean. Also, Lieutenant Abrams called. What did he want? Evan broke in. Didn't say. Just that you should call when you got in. Fine. And Evan started to make his way to his door. Hold on, cowboy, Sophie said. I haven't told you the best one. A strange man came in here, almost first thing, to see you. He had, let's just say he had an odd personality. He wore nothing but black from head to foot, like an undertaker or something, only creepier if you can imagine, but I couldn't place the style. Maybe some costume from one of those Spaceman serials at the Bijou? I saw one a few months back with some aliens from... Evan cleared his throat. Anyway, she continued, he wore an eye patch, a silver one. Never saw anything like it. I could see myself in it. It was very intriguing, to say the least. Evan's attention spiked when she mentioned the eye patch and asked her, Which eye? The right one, she said, and unconsciously placed her right hand over her right eye just like he had seen Claire and Harold do. Mm-hmm. Did he say what he wanted? Sophie shook her head. Why would he? Seems like that's the treatment I get from everyone these days. No one wants to tell me anything, only you. And even then, the info is spotty. Ipatch said he'd come back by later, so you'll get your chance to ask him. Evan nodded. Good work, kid. Is that it? Sophie nodded. 
fine. See if you can get Abrams on the phone, would you? Let me know when you have him. He reached out and turned the handle on his office door and stepped in. He found Claire Porter staring out his grimy window, her frame silhouetted against the hazy backdrop of Commercial Street. His client's hands mindlessly fidgeted with a handkerchief. Evan recognized it as the one he'd given her. He closed the door and said, To what do I owe this honor? Claire turned and Evan was taken aback by the expression of fear in her eyes. I'm so glad you're here, she said. I don't know where else to go. She almost ran into Evan's arms, but something kept her at a distance. She began to weep openly without any attempt to shield Evan from her emotions. What's got you so scared? My apartment, she sniffed. Someone's been in there, searching. They went through everything. Such a mess. She looked up at Evan's face. I can't go back there, Evan. I just can't. Was anything taken? He asked. Evan tried to remember his search of her rooms. He remembered not making a mess. So either she suspected him and attempted to catch him in something, or it was someone else. Harold? The woman. The man with the eye patch. She shook her head and dabbed her eyes. No, not that I can tell. But it may take me a while to know. Everything is in shambles. I just feel so... What if I'd been there? It gives me the heebies. Evan rubbed the back of his neck. Who would have done it? Our Mr. Huber was tied up with the police all night. Claire shot her eyes at Evan. It must have been that woman. That woman outside your apartment last night. You must have led her there. Or maybe you did. It'd be hard to know. Or maybe I did. Claire looked into Evan's eyes. If she knows where I live. She muffled her sobs in the handkerchief. It's likely as not nothing to do with any of this. I've been reading in the Gazette about several burglaries recently that fit this description. Always targets single women, always strikes when the lady is out. The thief takes valuables, but so far no one has been hurt in any way. My guess is you were just the next victim. The fact that you're new to the building would make you an easier target. You think that's what happened? Claire asked with a hopeful look on her face. Evan shrugged. Let's not forget that the woman outside my apartment was there till very late. If she wanted to go through your apartment, she could have done it then instead of staking out my place. Maybe she has a partner. Maybe she was the lookout and her friend was going through my things, or maybe... Evan laughed lightly. <laughs> I'm afraid you've been reading too many paperback mysteries. Criminals in this part of the world aren't often that coordinated. Not for something as small as what may or may not be in your apartment. Claire continued to pace about the office. Still... I can't go back there. Someone knows I'm there. They might come back. I, I can't go back there, Evan. I can't. Please don't tell me I have to go back there. As far as I know, he's coming for me, and I need to stay out of his reach. Who? Harold? Evan asked. I think you showed you can handle him. Not Harold, Claire moaned and then said, him, before placing her hand over her right eye. Calm down, Claire. I'm sure it's not as bad as all that. But I'll see what I can do to find you a new place to rest your head. She looked at him suddenly with a strange expression. How do you know where Harold was all night? Oh, Evan said with a sigh, that. After I dropped you off, I paid him a visit. He was just getting in, if you can believe it. I guess the police had a lot of questions. He didn't look too good. I wouldn't have thought it would have taken so long, but then again, when Bobby Short gets in a mood, who knows what he'll do. That reminds me. Evan walked back to his door and opened it a crack to ask if Sophie had been able to reach Lieutenant Abrams. She hadn't. Evan closed the door. Why did you go to see Harold? Claire asked, her tears drying a bit now that her mind had something new to feed on. Because this is a confusing case. The details keep moving around on me. 
I just wanted to ask him for some clarifications, nothing much. Besides, I wanted to make sure he didn't spill his guts to the cops. I don't like it, she said. The less we deal with that vermin, the better. Then her mind seemed to snap back to her present situation. Can you find me a new place to live, Evan? Some place where I can't be found. I can't stand the idea of spending one more night in that... Her whole body shivered in fright. I'll see what I can cook up. Hang on. He smiled at her and stepped out of the office. I said I'd let you know when I have him on the line, Sophie scolded. I can't make him show up on his phone. It's not about that, Evan said, sitting on the edge of his desk and speaking in low tones. What do you think of Little Miss Tragic in there? Evan asked. What do you mean? Is she a flight risk? Sophie shrugged. How should I know? As you say, people do what makes sense to them, but that doesn't mean it makes sense to me. If you want to know what I think of her, I like her. Sure, she seems like she's had a hard time of it, but something tells me her damage happened early, you know? Before she had a chance to choose her direction. Kind of like a little bird that's pushed out of the nest too early and can't fly too well. Uh-huh. Evan mumbled as he stared at his closed door. What's up? Sophie asked. Evan turned back to her. Yeah, think you can put her up for a while? How long is a while? Evan shrugged. A few days, maybe a week tops. Sophie took in a long breath and let it out slowly as she leaned back in her chair. She bunched her lips over to the side of her face and thought for a moment. I'm going to have the dickens convincing my brother and his wife of it. But the baby's a few months yet and there's still a regular bed in the nursery. Money's getting tighter and tighter, so I don't know how we're going to feed her. Trust me, this girl is good to cover the rent. Leave that part to me. Just see that your brother says yes. Feed him your little wounded bird line. Men love helping the helpless. They do, Sophie said. That's what I hear. Remind me to twist my ankle in front of the gymnasium sometime, she said with a wry smile. Thanks, kid, said Evan. You're a doll. Save it for someone who needs it, she said. And then before Evan had opened the door, Sophie asked, Is she really in that much trouble? I'm afraid so. I don't yet know what kind of trouble, but the picture I'm getting is worse and worse. He stepped back into his office. It's all set. Evan clasped his hands together. You're going to stay a few days with Sophie. She lives with her brother's family. Oh, I couldn't be a burden, Claire said. Evan shook his head. No, they'll love it. Very kind-hearted people. Salt of the earth. He guided Claire out of his office and arranged how to get Claire to the new place without raising anyone's suspicions should they be watching the office. Sophie quickly put in a call for a taxi to come by the office. She then packed up her things and headed out for the day. Evan waited with Claire for another 15 minutes before the taxi pulled up to the curb outside. Evan gave the driver the address and Claire said to Evan, Thank you for everything. Evan watched the cab turn a corner before he headed back into his office. If you are writing books, then one pacing issue that you need to deal with is um, sort of a, a stress and release rhythm. Uh, things need to be really tense, but then you need to have a moment to relax and kind of regroup, and then things need to ramp back up into stress and then uh, go back down and that kind of stuff throughout the story. If it's all stress all the time, uh, you either get worn out, and if nothing ever happens, you don't want to pick up that book anymore. So this is serving sort of one of those release uh, moments in the story as we've kind of been through a lot over the last several chapters uh, with trying to figure out 
what is the connection between Harold Huber and Claire Porter? And we've had the introduction of this person that we're not, we haven't really met them yet. Now Sophie has, of a person with, um, maybe it's this eye patch person since we keep covering up our right eyes uh, with things. And so there, there's things here and there, but for the most part, this is a regrouping kind of chapter. And I noticed that uh, I apparently in a former life, as I was writing this, took the time to kind of take some take care of some house cleaning issues. One of them is getting uh, getting Evan to the bank to actually sign these bank papers so that uh, his wife can have her own bank account kind of thing. Um, it's come up a couple of times. It's one of the reasons that Catherine popped up a few chapters ago was just to see if he'd been to the bank and he hadn't. And I remember as I was writing one of the drafts of this, that that had never been addressed, that he had never gone to the bank. And in an effort to help Evan be as sympathetic of a protagonist as possible, I had to get him to the bank, even though getting to the bank really doesn't help uh, the plot of this story at all, but it does help in setting up uh, him as a guy who's really, for all of his faults and for all of his uh, problems, he is trying to uh, preserve his marriage, if at all possible. The other thing was uh, this phone call that Sophie's on between her and um, Gabe Silver's wife. That is the most fun kind of writing for me is to write these broken sentence phone call things where you only uh, hear one side of it. You don't get to, you, you have to write it so that you can assume what the other end of the phone call is, but you write it. And um, uh, I was reminded in the recording of it, how hard that is to do as a performance. It's one thing to write it. It's a whole other thing to read it. And I probably had to run through that thing four or five times. Um, and I, I got the style from, uh, I've dropped this guy's name multiple times now of a playwright that I enjoy, whose name is David Mamet, who writes this way just as a matter of habit, not just in phone calls. Um, I'm like, ah, oh, there we go. Um, trying to trying to emulate your, your uh, literary heroes of sorts. And um, now you can't perform this stuff, even though when, when you run into people who can do it really well, it is, you don't even know that things have been written. Uh, it's, it's really kind of cool, but hats off to you, Mr. Mamet. That was, that was hard to do. Um, and then there's the um, sort of the, the loose toss off of you've been uh, reading too many paperback mysteries, which at the time, that I wrote Shell Game, Amazon's uh, paperback was the only thing you could get. I think now they have a, a hardcover version, which you can get a hardcover of Shell Game, but um, at the time that I was writing it, all they had was paperback, so that was kind of a way to go, ha ha ha, isn't that meta of me? You're reading a paperback mystery and talking about how you read too many paperback mysteries. Anyway, um, but I was, I was re-listening to this thinking like, what? what is the role like every character in your story should be serving some kind of role i think in an archetypal way archetype meaning um if you looked at all stories that have ever been written of all time and kind of figured out what kind of what type of character is being served all of your characters should fit something along those lines given the the genre that you're in 
And most heroes have a guide that helps them uh, get through the, the story. It's not that often that you find uh, <clears throat> a hero who gets from beginning to end without some kind of help uh, to get there. Even a James Bond who seems really self-reliant has Q to help him out. He gets informants who tell him some stuff. So there is a type character of a guide all the way through even if it's not the same person all the way through. So um, like Frodo essentially has Gandalf the whole time. He doesn't really have Gandalf that often, but um, you know what I'm saying? You just kind of Gandalf is whenever Gandalf is on the screen or in the book, um, he is serving that role of a guide. There are other guides throughout the story, but his only role is guide, whereas um, different other characters take on different roles. Like Boromir, for example, is sometimes a villain and sometimes he's a compatriot and those kind of things. And it's, I think, in the style that I was writing this in as I was modeling it after these hard-boiled uh, noir mysteries, these people don't have a lot of guides. And they're, they're kind of self-reliant, self-made uh, guys. And I was realizing as I was listening to this, Sophie is kind of serving that role uh, for uh, Evan. I remember writing this thinking, it's like he goes out of his office for like five minutes, gets a little bit of information, then has, has to run back and have a debrief with Sophie. And I, as I've been re-listening to that, he's he comes back to the office a lot less often than I thought that he was coming back to the office, which is nice to remember. Um, but Sophie is kind of fulfilling this role. Like he's the only person he, uh, she is the only person that Evan has to bounce ideas off of. Now, we will find out what quality of guide that she is, um, but I think she is, mostly serving that role she's not out we hardly ever if ever see her out of the office um she's kind of there as the the sort she's not the, mo the most sage person but she is the most sage person that he has uh, in this story so um if he's going to be the hero um he's going to need somebody a sidekick or a, or a guide or somebody to help him uh, get through the thing because claire is not fulfilling that role harold will not fulfill that role um catherine probably not going to help out so um that is uh, something that as you are this is something that I enjoy doing, and you may too, if you are listening this far into uh, Shell Game. But if you like watching movies or watching plays or reading books and trying to figure out like how is the thing made, this is a thing that's often in there uh, of these these types of characters. And I have often talked about this uh, group called StoryGrid.com, and uh, this was formed by a high-end like uh, top five publishing house type editor person uh, named Sean Coyne. Um, it's, and you've heard me say that if you're listening to the podcast of uh, the Story Grid podcast, they're in the weeds at the moment. It's good weeds if you're a story nerd and all those kinds of things are trying to, um, as they say, level up your craft. It is not bad, but it is weeds. So, um, but it is editing as well. So it's not, uh, I'm, I'm in the, still trying to finish the first draft of the third book in the Pearl Saga. 
And I just have to remember, my, as I'm listening to the podcast, I have to remember, just finish your first draft. Uh, all of these tweaks and all of these ways to level up what you're writing, all of that can happen once the first draft is written. So I'm not at the moment trying to worry about, well, what, what type of character is so-and-so and what kind of scene is this and all that. I'm going to like, well, it's just going to get it out all on paper and know that there's going to be a lot to fix and think through. However, it is not a bad exercise to be listening to things like the Story Grid podcast or to this podcast. Um, it's a much lighter version of that. Or to be watching movies and see how did a good story, particularly, how did a good story hang together well um, so that you know it's fulfilling all of these archetypal things, but they do it in a really creative, unique way that makes logical sense by the end. So um, it's, it's a good thing to kind of know that most of the time, each character is fulfilling some kind of archetypal role and then figure out what that is and um, see how that plays out. Because um, I think one of the things that Sean Coyne had said is that in some, I can't remember the genre now, but there, if, let's just say you have three people in a scene. One of them is the hero, one of them is the victim, and one of them is the villain. But it doesn't have to always be the same. Like There doesn't have to be one uh, hero and one victim and so on. In, in every scene, that 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 archetypal job can change persons over the course of the story, even to the point that the hero of the story in at times can be their own victim kind of thing. Like I'm saying, it gets in the weeds, but it's a lot of fun if you're into that kind of thing. Um, so enjoy this pause. Uh, things are uh, going to kick in here in just uh, in the next chapter where we start to ramp up the stress of, of the story again. And um, I invite you back to next week's uh, look at Shell Game as we get into chapter 28. Um, if you have not yet uh, been able to go to uh, brianthomascrop.com and join the reading list, I encourage you to do that. And that's a great way for you and I to stay in touch with one another. Um, and then, yeah, swing over to the places to give the, the ratings and the reviews, um, uh, whether that's this podcast or the books. Tell a friend about the books. I think one of the... One of the ways that uh, we get to help each other out in life is by sharing good stories. Now, I will be the first to say this isn't the best written story, but um, my aim in writing the story at all was to be an encouragement and to point to good things. So if you find this book uh, well enough written that you can uh, share it with somebody else, uh, go ahead and do that. That would be good. Um, and it'd be interesting to know what their thoughts are. You can, a book club, if anybody listening to this wants to start a book club on, that would be an interesting thing to find out about. Hmm. Anyway, take that for what it's worth. This is me talking in a, in a lonely room on a cloudy day, so don't mind me. I'm just kind of rambling at this point. So I will get off this, uh, this podcast. I hope you come back next week. And between now and then, I hope you have a great week. I will see you back here next time.